The sermon text for today is Genesis chapter 16, the entire chapter, and the New Testament reading is Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 11. Let's now give our undivided attention to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And when he went into Hagar, and she conceived... And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let us go now to the New Testament reading, which is Hebrews 12, starting with verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. This is a famous passage. It should sound very familiar to you. The writer to the Hebrew says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives." It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, referring to our earthly fathers. But He, our heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So far the reading of God's most holy word. Our prayer is that the Lord would help us now in the preaching of the Word, to listen carefully and to apply the text to the details of our lives. Brothers and sisters, uh, you might be beginning to recognize a pattern in the story of Genesis. I hope that you are. There is a pattern here. The, the pattern is one wherein the Lord states or restates His promises to His people. His people then struggle to trust in God's Word and to obey His commandments, particularly when the Fulfillment of His promises are delayed for a time. And yet the Lord remains faithful to His promises. And indeed it is true, this is what Paul has said, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. So this pattern, the pattern of God's promise, man's struggle to persevere in faith, and God's faithfulness to preserve His people and His work, is clearly present in the Genesis narrative. In Genesis 12, God made promises to Abram. Abram responded in faith. Uh, By no means should we lose sight of this fact that Abram did respond in faith. Uh, He was a man of faith from the beginning, but the text of Scripture is also very clear. He struggled to walk faithfully from time to time. When there was a famine in the land, he went down into Egypt, and being afraid of what might happen to him, he took matters into his own hands, and he lied concerning his relationship to Sarai, saying only that she was his sister. Though Abram was in this moment found faithless, what did we see? God remained faithful. He reiterated His promises to Abram. He restored him. God remained faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Uh, We noticed a similar pattern in the life of Abram's nephew, Lot. When things got difficult, he was so quick to move far away from Abram and the land that had been promised to him. He seemed to be somewhat enamored with the pleasures and prosperity of that land, and so off he went. It seems that Lot lost sight of the promises and purposes of God as he went the way of the world. The results of this were disastrous, as they always are, brothers and sisters. When we act according to our own human wisdom, when we begin to doubt the promises of God, and when we take matters into our own hands, the the results are always disastrous, and yet... God was faithful to preserve Lot, just as He is faithful to preserve us. Now, notice it is Sarai's turn. Abram struggled for a time. Lot also struggled. But here, the focus is upon Abram's wife, Sarai. It should be noted that in Genesis 15, God reiterated His great promises to Abram. And more than that, God entered into a covenant with Abram. And what is the very next story that is told to us in the narrative of Genesis except this? It's the story of Sarai's lack of faith. Again, the results are disastrous. But again, the Lord is merciful and He is kind. He is faithful to preserve His people and to bring about His purposes. This pattern is one that we should get used to. 
For it's a pattern that is going to be repeated over and over again throughout the Scriptures. God's people always seem to struggle when it comes to persevering in the faith. God has given us His promises. We are tempted to disbelieve and to go our own way, but God is faithful. He keeps His promises and preserves His people. Indeed, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. There are three things that need to be noted about this text that is before us today. Firstly, we must recognize that though Abram and Sarai had faith, they sometimes struggled in their faith. Secondly, we must observe the tendency that Abram and Sarai had to take matters into their own hands when their faith was weak. The results were disastrous. And thirdly, we must again take note of the tenderness of our God. Indeed, He is so very merciful and kind to sinners. He is patient with His people. He is faithful to preserve them despite their floundering. First of all, notice that though Abram and Sarai had true faith, they sometimes struggled to believe. The Scriptures, notice, are very honest concerning the weaknesses of our heroes, aren't they? Do you notice that already? We are only in chapter 16 of the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. But already we have seen that the Scriptures are very honest concerning the weaknesses of our heroes. is, Is it right for us to esteem Abram and Sarai highly? Is it right for us to esteem them highly? Is it right for us to consider them to be heroes of the faith? And I would say... Yes, it is right. In fact, this is what the writer to the Hebrews did. He spoke so very highly of them when he wrote, By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, notice, Sarah herself received power to conceive. We have not come yet to that story, have we? But she is here praised for her faith, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand, by the seashore. So the writer to the Hebrews certainly holds up Abram and Sarai and says, They are our heroes. They are paradigms of faithfulness. Uh, they, they sincerely had faith and indeed, in many respects, looked at from a certain vantage point, their faith was very strong. But as we see here in the narrative of Genesis, their faith was far from perfect. And this also is important for us to note. Their faith was far from perfect. Though their faith was true, though it was big, it was not without flaw. Abram and Sarai struggled from time to time. Look with me at the first half of verse 1. There we read these very simple words. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This is a problem. It's a very big problem. This transcends Sarai's desire to have a child. Many women have a desire to have a child and to not have one can be a very troublesome thing in and of itself is a problem. But this is especially to be considered a big problem when we consider it in light of the promises that have been made to Abram previously. The promises concerning descendants and nations and a nation possessing the land of Canaan all hinged upon Abram having a son. 
If Abram did not have a son, then God's promises would not come about. We should remember that the Lord had clarified His promises to Abram. His heir would be a natural heir and not a legal one. I think for a time Abram began to wonder, perhaps the Lord is going to do all of this through a legal heir, an adopted son, Eleazar of Damascus maybe. But the Lord had clarified to him, no, you're going to have a natural son. It's going to come from your own loins, Abram. And so it is not difficult to sympathize with Sarai at this point, is it? Surely she believed in the promises of God, and surely she longed to see the fulfillment of those promises. I do not believe that it was merely her desire for a child that drove her to do what she did here, but it was mainly her desire to see the promises made to her husband fulfilled. Here's my reasoning. What wife desiring to have a child of her own would suggest what Sarai suggested Abram do? Would it not be far better for her to adopt a child for her own um, than to do what she suggested here? In both instances, she would have had a son that came not from her womb. Why then would she suggest what she suggested? That Abram take her servant into his embrace. It could only be that she longed to see the fulfillment of the promises of the Lord. The Lord said that Abram would have a son and Sarai began to assume that she was the problem. She was the one getting in the way, perhaps. And with the passing of time, she began to doubt whether the Lord was able to bring life from a womb that was clearly dead. Here it is Sarai and not Abram or Lot who struggled in the faith. Friends, uh, this application has been made before, but I think it is good to make it again. We too can be tempted to doubt God with the passing of time. Sometimes the Lord moves more slowly than we would expect Him to move or than we would like Him to move. Uh, Sometimes His ways are not our ways and with the passing of time comes the temptation to doubt the Lord. Now it needs to be said that our situations do not mirror Abram's and Sarai's exactly. We should remember that they had received very specific promises from the Lord pertaining to the details of their personal lives. Abram would have a son, he was told. He, this son, and through him, would become a great nation. His descendants would inherit a particular land. Indeed, it is true, God has given us many promises to cling to. But they are not nearly as specific as this. Wouldn't you agree with me on that point? He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us, to finish the work that He has begun in us, to bring us safely home, etc. I could go on and on. He has given us many wonderful Promises, but they are not as specific as the ones given to Abram and Sarah. You're going to have a son, Abram, and you're going to inherit this land. And from you will come a great multitude. Many nations will come from your loins. Very particular. But we should remember, though God has made promises to us, He has never promised that we will be married, that we will have children, that we will be prosperous, healthy, and wealthy. The Lord has not made those promises to each one of us individually. Abram received promises like this, but those were for him and not for us. Those promises made to Abram, they do affect us. We benefit from the fulfillment of them in Christ Jesus. But the specific promises were for him and they were not for us. This is why I say that our situations do not mirror Abram's and Sarai's exactly. Nevertheless, Here I am acknowledging that all of God's people 
do have hopes and desires of their own. I'm sure that is true. They bring their desires to God in prayer, and it is right that they do that. And when God delays in His response, the people of God, I think, can be tempted to doubt, just as Abram and Sarai were tempted to to doubt, as it pertained to the fulfillment of the specific promises that were made to them. Perhaps you desire children. You've prayed for it, but the Lord has not answered in the way that you wish. Perhaps you desire to marry, but the Lord has not provided an opportunity. Perhaps your health is poor, or your finances are strained. You've asked the Lord to act, but He seems distant and silent. And these unanswered prayers, these unmet desires, can be used by the evil one to sow seeds of doubt. And if we are not careful to tend to the garden of our life, we can be overrun by the weeds of discontentment and unbelief. And so I want to say three things that I hope will be helpful to those um, who are experiencing what we might call delayed gratification in this world. First of all, it is important to have a clear understanding of what the Lord has promised you and what He has not. I really do feel for those Christians who have believe the lie that God has promised them things that He has not promised them in His Word. Do you know what I'm referring to here? Some have been encouraged, I think, to read all of the promises of God found in Holy Scripture and to claim them as their own, ignoring the fact that some of those promises were made to others and not to them. Others have been taught that God's supreme desire is to make them happy, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. These saints, I think, are bound to be disappointed. They are bound to struggle in the faith when they find that the Christian life actually involves sorrow and sickness, suffering, and even death. And it is not that God has failed them. The problem is they have harbored expectations that are not reasonable or grounded in truth. The the saints feel as if God has failed them, but it is because they have first believed a lie. I think believers would do well to put John 16.33 to memory. That is where Christ said to His disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He wants His disciples to be at peace. But then He says this, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is what He says to His disciples generally and broadly. I guess we could say here is a promise from God for you and for me. It's not such an encouraging promise in one way, but in another way it is. In the world, this is not the text, but my interpretation. I promise, Christ says, you will have tribulation. But here is another promise, a sweeter one. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. We can have confidence in Him. And so we must have a clear understanding of what the Lord has promised us and what He has not. Two, understand that God's timing might be different than yours. I think Sarai stumbled in this regard. She knew the promises of God, but from her perspective and in her opinion, the Lord was moving too slowly. We learn here that Abram and Sarai had lived in the land for ten years when they took matters into their own hands. That's a long time, especially given their age Abram's going to have a son. Do you know how old we are, Lord? We've been waiting for the fulfillment of this promise for so long, we thought you were going to do it right away. But ten years have passed. Perhaps you also are struggling with the timing of the Lord. You have prayed for relief, and it has not come. You've prayed for the salvation of a loved one, and so far nothing. 
You've asked the Lord to move in some particular way, and from your perspective it seems as if He is far and distant, as if your request has fallen upon deaf ears. Friends, you need to be reminded of of this thing. You, You know this intellectually. You know this is true, but you must be reminded of it. The Lord is not deaf or distant. He is the God who hears And He is the God who sees. He is always near. This is why Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's near to us. But sometimes His timing is different from what we we think it should be. Brothers and sisters, God's timing is always best. Do you believe that? Even if it is not yours, His timing is always best. Are you more wise than He He is never early or late in the accomplishment of His decrees. Everything that happens in this world, including the little details of our lives, happen according to the eternal decree of God for His glory and for the ultimate good of His people. It is mysterious, I'll admit it. I cannot explain it. I cannot connect the dots for you. But I am confident of this very thing, that His will and His timing is best. Three, it is also important to understand that the will of the Lord might be different than yours. Not only might His timing be different, but His will might be different than yours. It is good and right that we bring our desires to the Lord in prayer, but we should always remember that His will might be different than ours. And so when we pray, we should pray like Christ did. Even Christ prayed in this way when He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Isn't that wonderful? Christ, the man, had a sincere desire. He did not want to go through the anguish that was before him. And so he brought his desire to the Lord in prayer. My desire, Lord, is that you would remove this cup from me, speaking out of humanity. But what did he say? If you are willing. And then he also said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Christ, as the man, acknowledged that the will of God might be different than His will. His was an honest prayer. He brought His sincere desire before the Lord. He prayed in faith. Surely He knew that God was able. But His was also a humble and submissive prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so whenever we bring our desires to the Lord in prayer, we should come with the same attitude of humble submission to His will in all things. His will might be different than yours. And the servant of God will be pleased ultimately to see the Lord's will accomplished above all else. May the Lord help us to walk faithfully in this world while experiencing delayed gratification. The second thing for us to notice about this passage is that Abram and Sarai did have a tendency to take matters into their own hands when their faith was weak. Again, Abram took matters into his own hands when he and Sarai went down into Egypt. He was afraid. And instead of living in simple obedience to God, he acted according to his own wisdom when he asked Sarai to lie, saying only that she was his sister. Notice that Sarai in that instance complied with Abram's request, and the results were disastrous. In verses 1 through 6 of this passage, we see that Sarai did something similar. She almost did the exact same thing. The details are different, but notice it's it's a very similar thing that she did. Instead of living in simple obedience to God, she acted according to her own wisdom when she urged Abram to take Hagar as his wife. And then Abram complied, and we see that the results were disastrous. 
Sarai being frustrated and discouraged by the delay of the fulfillment of the promises of God, she concocted a plan. She desired to see the Lord's promises fulfilled, I'm sure of that. And when the fulfillment did not come, as soon as she thought, she began to reason within herself. You have done this, haven't you? I'm sure that you have. Maybe you've never never verbalized it, but you've done it inwardly. You begin to reason within yourself. And this is what she did. She began to reason within herself, saying, Perhaps my barrenness is the problem. Perhaps I am hindering the fulfillment of these promises concerning a son for Abram. All of the nations around us, this is what Sarai is saying to herself, have the practice of husbands taking more than one wife. Is it really so bad? And perhaps that's the solution for us. Hagar, my servant who is young and fertile, can bear the child, and we will then take the child as our own and raise him. After all, the Lord said that a son would come from Abram's loins, but he didn't say anything about my womb. Do you see how Sarai began to reason within herself? And she concocted this plan. The plan really was not an unreasonable one, especially if we consider the customs of the nations that surrounded Abram and Sarai. They, they here were about to do something just like the nations did, the other cultures around them. Her plan would have seemed perfectly reasonable to them. But there was one problem. In the beginning, God established that marriage is to be a union of one man and one woman for life. Here's the problem. God's word, God's decree, God's design would not permit the execution of Sarai's plan. In Genesis 2.24 we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Certainly Abram and Sarai were aware of this design, and Sarai's plan was a clear violation of it. Brothers and sisters, never should we be opposed to winsomeness, ingenuity, creativity, and prudence in the Christian life. Clearly, there is nothing wrong with being diligent, responsible, and wise while waiting upon the fulfillment of God's promises or the answer to your prayers. The Scriptures everywhere teach that we are to take action in life. God is both sovereign and yet we are responsible. So it is right for us to take action when waiting upon the Lord. For example, if you are praying for the salvation of a loved one, it is right for you to do more than just pray. You should also do good to that person and you should share the gospel with them. This is your responsibility. You ought to do it winsomely. Salvation is of the Lord but this is your responsibility. Sarai was wrong to do what she did, not because she was proactive, but because she violated God's design for marriage when she concocted her plan. Sarai was indeed free to act, but only within the bounds of God's revealed will. And the same could be said of Abram when he went down to Egypt with Sarai. He was not necessarily wrong to go down, And it was right for him to be concerned for the protection of his wife and for his own preservation. And there were so many things that he could have done that would have been within the bounds of God's law. But he erred when he encouraged his wife to tell a lie. This was out of bounds for him, for it was a violation of the law of God. And I have noticed that the people of God are tempted in a similar way even to this present day. I have noticed that the people of God are tempted 
to, when longing to see the answer to their prayers, to go ever so slightly outside the boundaries that God has established to bring about the desired results. You're going to have to think about this yourself. You're going to have to meditate upon these things and work to apply this principle. But, but have you done this? Have you been guilty of this same thing, either, either in the past or maybe even in the present? Perhaps you are rationalizing in your own mind how you might bring about what you think God's purposes for you are. And yet they are ever so slightly outside of the bounds of God's law. A young woman wants to wed. And after years of searching, she has not found a suitable partner. She knows what the Scriptures say, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6.14 And indeed she is free to marry whom she wishes only in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.39 says, And then along comes Prince Charming. He's kind to her. He's mature and responsible. He's even more mature and responsible than the single Christian men that she knows. And so she begins to rationalize, saying to herself, It's been so long. God has ignored my prayers. My happiness is important, isn't it? Who knows? Perhaps he will come to faith after we wed. How bad can it be, given what a nice guy he is, etc., etc.? Her proactivity is not the problem. Her problem is her willingness to transgress the boundaries that God has established in His Word. And I could put one hypothetical situation before you after another to demonstrate that the people of God are tempted in the same way that Abram and Sarai were tempted back then, even in this present day. The Scriptures clearly call husbands and wives to take certain roles in the marriage relationship. The husband is to lead with a self-sacrificing love. The wife is to respond in loving submission. And yet so many today reason the Scriptures away saying that is outdated, or this might be true for some, but it doesn't work for us. Is there room for creativity, wisdom, and diversity within our marriage relationships? Of course there is, but within the bounds that God has established in His Word. The Scriptures are also clear that the people of God are to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. On that day, which is the first day, now that Christ has risen, We are to cease from work and recreation. We're to assemble together as the people of God for worship. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews is exhorting Christians to do this very thing when he says, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And yet so many in our day cast aside the fourth commandment along with the New Testament example as They rationalize their behavior. I'm tired, they say. I'm busy. I need the money and therefore must work. This is a day for family. On and on they go. Now, the fact that you are tired, busy, that you need the money and are desirous of family time must be addressed. These are very important concerns. But the solution to those concerns, the solution to those problems, must be found within the bounds of God's law. I might also make a similar point as it pertains to giving cheerfully unto the Lord. These are but a few examples of how Christians might reason the clear teaching of Scripture away. They say to themselves, yes, I know what God has said, but certainly my situation is different. And in order to bring about the desired result, I am sure that the Lord would approve of my stepping out of bounds just this once. After all, the ends justify the means, don't they? This was the error that Sarai made 
She assumed that the Lord needed her help, all the while ignoring His design for the marriage bond. Verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And this is so sad when you really think about this whole episode. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. What a strange perspective on this situation. And then she says this, Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And sadly, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram lived in the land ten years, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram. And he went into her. I am here paraphrasing. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. I want you to notice a few things about these four verses. One, Abram was complicit in Sarai's sin. Sarai concocted the plan, but Abram participated. Two, notice the language used in this passage echoes the language used to describe the original sin of Adam and Eve. This must be noted. And I think if we were reading quickly through the book of Genesis, we would uh, notice it, um, it would be more obvious to us. But the language used in this passage clearly echoes the language used to describe the original sin of Adam and Eve, just as Eve, thinking that she knew better than God, brought the fruit to Adam and urged him to eat, so too Sarai, thinking that she knew better than God, brought Hagar to Abram and urged him to lay with her. And in verse 2, we are told that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Does that sound familiar to you? This is also what led to Adam's sin. Remember Genesis 3.17, And to Adam the Lord said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And so these two situations, Adam's eating of the forbidden fruit, and Abram's taking Hagar as wife, they mirror one another. God had just entered into covenant with both men, They functioned as federal heads or representatives for others, Adam for humanity, Abram for the Hebrews. And not long after the covenants were transacted, what are we shown here? They both fell. They both violated God's law. Three, notice that the result of Sarai and Abram's sin was disastrous. When Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. This means that she looked upon Sarai with a haughty and prideful look. Perhaps Hagar assumed that she would be Abram's favorite now. Sarai, being enraged at the arrogance of her servant and being driven by a jealous spirit, spoke to Abram saying, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant, to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then, sadly, Sarai dealt harshly with her to the point that Hagar fled away from her. This is really a very sad story. And I think we are to be reminded of the mess that we make of things when we choose to go our own way and to sin against the Lord. Oh, that we would learn from Adam and from Abram, Eve and from Sarai, that we would choose the much better way, which is to live a life of simple faith and obedience. The third and last point of this sermon today has to do with the kindness of our God. 
Can't you see that our God is so very merciful and kind? He's patient with His people. He is faithful to preserve them. He is the Lord who is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. Indeed, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147, 3. This is so clearly demonstrated in verses 7 through 16. After Sarai was harsh with Hagar, Hagar fled from her. But notice this. This also is surprising. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Note the tenderness of our Lord. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. Isn't that interesting? Sarai was harsh. But here Hagar is encouraged to do the hard thing, the difficult thing, that is to return and to submit. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. This is very interesting and revealing. The phrase, the angel of the Lord found her, gives the impression, and rightly so, that he was seeking Hagar. Of course, we know that the Lord does not need to search for anyone, for He knows and sees all things past, present, and future. But I think it is wonderful to think that the Lord does search for people. He pursues them. Do you note the emphasis here? The Lord pursued Hagar. And consider who it is that He pursued. She was not some powerful person or not someone of noble pedigree. The Lord pursued Hagar, who was a woman, the servant of Sarai. He was concerned for her. And we should remember her ethnicity. What was she? She was an Egyptian. Isn't that interesting? I think that must be considered in light of what has been said before and what will come later. Abram, according to the promise of God, would be a blessing to the nations. And here we see that God was concerned with others besides the Hebrew people. Even in the days of Abram, he pursued Hagar, the Egyptian. We should also remember the promise made to Abram that many nations would emerge from him. And here we learn that nations would emerge not only from amongst the Hebrew people through the son of promise, but also through the son that would be born to Hagar. His name would be Ishmael. Verse 11, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Now, Ishmael, He's going to be a troubled individual, I guess. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. That's something that no mother wants to hear about their child in the womb. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He's going to be a contentious individual. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. She is Egyptian. Remember, he will come to settle near the border of Egypt. I believe it is Genesis 25 or 28, which tells us the fulfillment of uh, that so she called the name of the Lord. Listen to the name of the Lord that Hagar uh, gave to him. The Lord who, who spoke to her, he, she said, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Isn't that beautiful? He is the God who sees, He is the God who looks after me. Even Hagar, the servant of Sarai, the Egyptian, knew. The Lord, as a Lord, as the Lord who looks after her. Therefore, the well she called was Ber Lahai Roy, and we're told where it is located. And some other details are given here. Truly, though, the point that I am making is that the Lord 
is merciful and kind. He sees the affliction of His people. He pursues us even in our sin and He calls us to repentance even when it is hard. Brothers and sisters, it is good for us to think often of the kindness of our God. He has been so very tender with us, hasn't He? And I'm asking, do you see it? Do you recognize His kindness? Do you dwell upon it? Have you thought of the way in which He called you to repentance? Have you considered the patience that He has shown to you? Have you contemplated the many wonderful gifts that He has showered upon you all by His mercy and grace? I love it when I have an interaction with a Christian brother or sister who seems to be all about emphasizing God's kindness, God's tenderness, God's mercy, God's graciousness to them. How are you doing this morning, brother? Better than I deserve, someone said to me. I said, I love that response, for it is emphasizing God's goodness, isn't it? But I think there are many Christians who stumble in this regard. They instead decide to dwell upon all that is wrong, all that is lacking, all that has been withheld. Brothers and sisters, may we highlight and emphasize and exalt the goodness and kindness of our Lord, His mercy and His grace to us, especially His mercy and grace to us shown in Christ Jesus. The Lord was kind to Sarai and Abram despite their sin. He would fulfill the promises that He made to them, for they were unconditional promises. We've already seen that. Now we see it demonstrated. They did not have to earn the fulfillment of them. They were unconditional, thankfully, because shortly after they were given, Abram and Sarai stumbled. The Lord was kind to Hagar. Yes, He urged her to return to Sarai, for this was right. But notice that He pursued her. He comforted her in her affliction, and He richly provided for all her needs. And the Lord has been very good to you and to me. Let us not forget it, brothers and sisters. Let us often consider the kindness of God and give Him thanks for His tender mercies. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful. It is only right that we are a thankful people. All people should be thankful. For You are good to all. You cause it to rain upon the just and the unjust. You give us food to eat, water to drink, many pleasant things to enjoy in this life. How much more so those who have partaken of the grace of God through faith in Christ Jesus, how much more so should we be thankful? Lord, so help us in this. We are thankful for the promises you made to Abram so long ago, the promises that were fulfilled ultimately in Christ. We thank you for the salvation that is found in Him. We thank you that you brought these these promises to their fulfillment, uh, not because of our faithfulness, not because of our works, but because... You are faithful, Lord. When we are faithless, You remain faithful, for You cannot deny Yourself. We are grateful, Lord, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.